Welcome to the Wednesday Wake Up Club Breakfast Podcast. Today's podcast was recorded live in March 2014 at the Stephen P.J. Wood Building in Arlington, Virginia. This episode's speaker is Representative Steve Scalise from Louisiana, who at the time was a House Majority Whip. Representative Scalise gave his thoughts about a wide range of policies and how President Obama could better address the issues at hand. So get some Nutella on your bagel and take a sip of your Earl Grey, because you're listening to the Wednesday Wake Up Club Breakfast Podcast. Are you looking to launch your career? Do you want to gain real, professional experience while sharpening your media skills? Then apply today to be a studio's intern here at the Leadership Institute. As a studio's intern, you'll master Adobe programs and get behind-the-scenes access to media professions across the board. Just go to leadershipinstitute.org and click on the Career tab to learn more. That's leadershipinstitute.org and click on the Career tab to learn more. Thank you, Jessica. I uh, appreciate you coming all the way from Australia to uh, provide that introduction. I uh, want to welcome all of you, and, and especially Morton Blackwell, who's a longtime friend and fellow Louisianan, and uh, especially for what he does with the Leadership Institute, because uh, we know the battle that we're, we're fighting on a regular basis, especially up here in Washington, and to, to be able to train young people uh, and, and to help bring forward another class of people who can engage in this battle. 143,000 students have come through uh, this program, and it's just invaluable for us to have, uh, have the people to, to go and combat what the left does on a daily basis. So I, I appreciate Morton and the work you do, the work you do right here at the Leadership Institute. And, uh, you know, Morton talked about the Louisiana legislature. Yesterday was Mardi Gras Day. On your, on your tables you'll see these uh, the little uh, placards with the purple, green, and gold. We all survived Mardi Gras. I, uh, I actually got on a plane yesterday on Mardi Gras Day to fly up here to D.C. as other people were flying into New Orleans uh, because we, uh, we started votes yesterday. But, um, uh, you know, when you think about Louisiana politics, and uh, he told the story of Huey Long. I served in the legislature for 12 and a half years. And, uh, you know, of course, you, you think of populism. You think of for decades and decades uh, a state that was run by Democrats, uh, who who literally controlled everything in our state, uh, squandered so many opportunities, had uh, had some of those uh, Democrat governors go to jail, Edwin Edwards, the most recent. Uh, and and then, uh, in fact, when you go to the Louisiana uh, capital, it's the most visited capital in the country, you can still see the spot, and students love coming, and they all want to ask, where was the, sh- the spot that Huey Long was shot? And, and when you go to that spot in the capital, there, there's actually still bullet holes in the marble from, uh, from there was a shootout, uh, between Huey Long's bodyguards and uh, Dr. Weiss, who, uh, uh, you know, there's still debate over how he really uh, died, but the, the bullets are still, uh, bullet holes are still there. So uh, you think about the Louisiana politics of old and, and, and how our state has transformed. It's a great case study in what can happen in a state uh, when, when people finally decide to take their state back. And, and I think there's a lot we can learn about what we're trying to do to take our country back. Uh, but when you think about Going from Huey Long all the way through Edwin Edwards, uh, in the populism and the in the heavy Democrat-controlled uh, politics, uh, look at Louisiana today. Uh, we've got uh, Bobby Jindal as our governor. We have a Republican House, a Republican Senate. Uh, literally every single statewide office is now held by Republicans. Uh, last statewide election, Democrats couldn't even field candidates for many 
uh, these races. And a lot of it is the backlash against uh, what President Obama is doing. Uh, to our country where people have literally said uh, that, that the Democratic Party no longer stands for the things that even Democrats uh, used to believe in in our state. And, and look at a lot of other states, too, where, uh, you know, where policies are being carried out on a daily basis. States are always the incubator of great ideas. Uh, Louisiana's uh, bucking all the national trends. We're doing much better than the national average in unemployment. Uh, you look at job growth, uh, and, and you look at all of these Republican ideals being carried out in the state. Of course, uh, by the end of this year, we will no longer have any statewide elected officials, including Mary Landrew, because she's up this year, and she's going to get defeated, like many other Democrats are going to get defeated because of what they did to this country uh, with Obamacare. Uh, and then you, you go look at some of the other states. Look at Texas right next door. Uh, you know, we had our, uh, our, our prayer given by a young gentleman from Texas A&M. Uh, Texas, again, uh, run by Republicans. Uh, beating the national average in job growth, taking jobs away from states like California, uh, where the great contrast is, you know, go to California, liberal utopia. Democrats control everything. And, you know, go to Illinois. Democrats control everything. The president's home state, uh, the most debt-ridden state in the nation. Uh, and then you go to other states uh, that are run by Republican governors, uh, like Mike Pence, colleague of mine, former chairman of the Republican Study Committee as well. Uh, look at the great things he's doing in Indiana. And, and so while our country's struggling, and clearly we've got big struggles up here, uh, but our nation still has big struggles. The economy still isn't moving uh, the way the economy should be moving. Uh, but there are some places where, where things are actually going well. And ironically, pure coincidence, I'm sure, uh, ironically, those happen to be states that are run by Republicans where conservative principles are actually being played out on a daily basis, uh, where those governors have said no to the expansion of Medicaid, which is the most broken part of health care, uh, even with the federal dollars being dangled out, the free money, as uh, the president likes to call it, uh, they're turning it down because they're still believing in and pursuing a free market agenda, still pursuing capitalism and trying to make sure that people have, uh, have the, the, the right to choose uh, their own destiny. And go look and contrast between the two because uh, again you know you might think that everybody in the country is in the same boat but but some states are doing well some states are not and it just so happens to be in the states uh, where conservative principles are being played out uh, by Republican governors and again the contrast with the states where Democrats literally control everything and those states are in complete and utter disarray and so that's where we are today as a nation we've got an opportunity as conservatives uh, to lay out a great contrast, and, and, and that's really what I'd like to see us do. I know within the Republican Study Committee, 175 members strong, uh, the most conservative members of Congress, uh, in the only body uh, where we actually have a majority right now, and I do think that'll change at the end of this year, but in the meantime, we've got an opportunity to lay out a bold agenda, and, and that's what we ought to do. I really think this ought to be the year of big ideas, uh, because there has never been a better time to contrast what we believe in with the failures of liberalism. And clearly Obamacare is the poster child for the failure of big government. Uh, but, you know, there used to be a day when the Republicans were the party of big ideas. We've got to get back to that. Uh, you know, there was a lot of hand-wringing after the 2012 election. You know, people saying, well, you know, what are we going to do to win the presidency again? And a lot of, a lot of people in this town, Republican and Democrat alike, were, were saying, you know, we, we've got to just, you know, moderate our message. We've got to We've got to try to appeal to other people and, and do it by being more moderate. And what I've said was, you go back and show me a time where a Republican president, presidential candidate lost by being conservative. 
I can show you a lot of examples, especially the last two, where we, we had a Republican nominee that, that ran on a moderate message and got defeated. Didn't inspire the base. Two million fewer people who voted for John McCain didn't show up uh, in the presidential election in 2012. And so when you look at what it takes to, to win presidential elections, you know, let's go back and look at that, the great communicator Ronald Reagan as our example, because you know, we still haven't had anybody that truly inspired people like him. The left still reviles Ronald Reagan to this day because of what he did to ignite a fire and, and really motivate and inspire people in this country. And he did it by talking about conservative principles and by implementing conservative principles. And they worked. They've worked every time they've been tried. We just don't try them enough. And so there's some people that are afraid to talk about those big ideas, are afraid to, to put our principles on the table, and they think it's just enough to be against what, what, what those guys are against. I mean, we, you know, we're the party of big ideas. They're the party of big government. And, they, and there's a clear contrast. I mean, people are starting to realize it that maybe never looked at it before because of Obamacare. And so we ought to take this as an opportunity, number one, to continue to do battle against Obamacare because this is a law that will tumble and collapse on its own weight but it's not just going to happen on its own. We've got to continue to fight that battle until the law is repealed. And there will come a day when Obamacare is repealed. might not happen when a guy named Barack Obama is president, uh, but it ought to be the, the defining issue of the 2016 cycle. Uh, but in the meantime, we've got to do everything we can to fight and battle and, and try to work against a, a law that literally is destroying so many good things in health care. But we're not just going to do it by saying it's bad. People see that it's bad now. You talk about something that affects you personally, your health care, your, your decisions that you make used to be with your doctor. Now you literally have IRS agents and all kind of other federal bureaucrats are getting in the way. You know, the, the most often told lie of, of all of politics may be if you like what you have, you can keep it. And, and literally millions of people are losing the good health care they had because of this law. And they get it now. They're making the link. You know, a few years ago, it was all esoteric. The president ran around and, hey, look, everything's going to be great. Your costs are going to be lower. All those insurance companies, they're, you know, they're just going to have to you know, give you whatever you want, and it's all going to be free, and everything's going to be great, and unicorns are going to fly. That was the story. It sounded real good. And then people saw what happened, and they saw what happens when government runs anything, let alone health care, something so basic and personal. And so people are angry about it. But this is where we get back to the party of big ideas and this, this, this idea that, you know, some people want to just sit back and play prevent defense and say, we don't want to be the issue. You know, and we've talked about this with our own leadership in the House. And I remember a year ago when I became chairman of the Republican Study Committee, I said, we ought to put together some of those big ideas, put them on paper. We ought to file an alternative to Obamacare, not just be against it, absolutely continue to battle to repeal it, but we also ought to lay out side by side what conservative ideas would do to empower people, to put patients back in charge of their health care, uh, to try to get uh, some kind of semblance of a free market again. And so we got some of our smartest members, doctors, medical doctors, people in the healthcare industry, uh, and we put together a, a true alternative to Obamacare. Uh, and the leadership at the time was saying, look, we don't want to do anything on Obamacare, just want to focus on how bad Obamacare is, but we don't want to put an alternative out there because, you know, then people will attack us. You know, what I said is if we can't, especially today, when people see how bad it is, if we can't put conservative ideas on paper and defend that against liberals, we, we don't deserve to be in this business. And so we put together a bill called the American Health Care Reform Act. 
A bill that actually, number one, starts with repealing Obamacare because you can't fix this law. You can't kind of tweak it around the edges. It's, it's such bad policy. You've got to literally root it up from the ground and start over. Uh, but we had problems in our health care system before Obamacare. Costs were too high. Uh, people, a lot of people had good health care they liked. It was more expensive than they liked to spend. Uh, and access was, uh, was an issue for, uh, for some people. And unfortunately, when Republicans controlled everything, the House, the Senate, the White House, they didn't address those problems. And, and by avoiding that problem, they created an atmosphere and a void that ultimately was filled uh, by this big government proposal called Obamacare. So today things are even worse. Costs are even higher. Access is even more limited. And now you've got the government running all of these aspects of our life, and people don't like it. So we've got an opportunity to go out there and say, the things we should have done before Obamacare, we sure ought to do them now. And so our bill does some basic common sense things. We allow people to buy insurance across state lines. Just a basic concept. People are used to buying all kind of products, especially with the Internet, if in any state, in any country. And yet you really don't have the ability to buy health insurance across state lines. Uh, one of the great success stories in healthcare is health savings accounts, uh, where people can literally lower costs because they're more empowered, they have more control over their own health care decisions. And the companies that use health savings accounts are able to control their costs. The employees actually like the plans better. I remember meeting with the, uh, the CEO of Whole Foods a few months ago. Whole Foods, you know, big company, over 30,000 employees. Their employees actually get to vote on their benefits. And they like their health care plans. And yet under Obamacare, uh, they're not eligible to continue to provide that same level of plans for their employees. And so allow people to have those same options. Do real medical liability reform. You know, many doctor will tell you one of the big drivers of cost increases in healthcare are these, these junk lawsuits. And they run a lot of tests. The doctors will tell you about a third of all the tests they run have nothing to do with your health care. It's more to prevent frivolous lawsuits. Yet Obamacare does absolutely nothing to address that problem because of the trial lawyer lobby on the Democrat Party. That's something that's a big driver of cost. Uh, protecting religious freedom. How about that? You look at what Obamacare is doing to attack people of religious faith to literally try to get into, you know, telling when they told the little sisters of the poor that they had to, uh, had to buy abortion-inducing drugs. It really showed how, how evil this law is. And so as some of this is being challenged in the courts, the bottom line is this is being played out in everybody's kitchen table as families are making these decisions and looking at the impact of government-run health care. We've got a great opportunity to go and put our ideas side by side and have a great debate about what conservative policy is versus what the reality of big run, big government run liberal policy is all about. Are you interested in running for office? Want to work on a campaign? At the Leadership Institute, it is our mission to increase the effectiveness of conservative activists and leaders in the public policy process. We offer over 40 different trainings, including campaign management school, on-camera TV trainings, and writing workshops. If you want to make a difference in public policy, visit leadershipinstitute.org. That's leadershipinstitute.org. So we ought to put that out there. We ought to actually have a vote on the House floor on these ideas. And so we put them together in a form of a bill. We have over 120 co-sponsors now of the American Health Care Reform Act, and we've moved our leadership to the point where they're actually talking about bringing a bill to the floor. In debating this, and again, we ought to be proud of putting our ideas on paper and not just on health care. We ought to go down the line the next few months as we lead up to 
this election cycle in November. Uh, we don't have the Senate right now, but every bill we pass out of the House that Harry Reid deep sixes, uh, people like Mary Landrieu in Louisiana ought to be ask, answering that question of why do you support a leadership that won't bring a bill to get our economy back on track, won't bring a bill to fix our health care problems, won't bring a bill to the floor to actually get us to a balanced federal budget. Look, the president just released his budget yesterday. I, I mean, you, you look at a guy who, who has absolutely no desire to solve the problems of this country. He wants to transform this country. He wants to change it to a different place. I don't think most Americans want that. But when they look at his priorities, it's laid out in his budget. Again, trillions of dollars in new taxes never, ever gets to balance. Never. Not in 10 years, not 20 years. Never. He doesn't believe in balance in the budget. I think most Americans realize that's a basic tenet of something you do. At the beginning of each year, you sit around at the kitchen table, you figure out how much you're taking in, and you don't spend more when you, when you decide what you're going to set your priorities on. Washington hasn't done that in years. But we have proven you can balance a budget. You can address the problems of this country while also setting those priorities. Uh, one of the things we pushed for in the, in the Republican Study Committee last year is not only to do a budget, but to do a budget that balances in our 10-year window to show the American people how we can set those priorities. And it means you have to make tough decisions. Uh, but again, American people are t making these tough decisions every day. People that are afraid of making tough decisions, uh, you've got to get, get a reality check. People can handle tough decisions. They know, for example, that Medicare is going bankrupt. If we sit back and do nothing, the president says, hey, don't touch Medicare. You'll never balance your federal budget if you don't save Medicare from bankruptcy. You'll never balance it. You can wipe out all discretionary spending. And by the way, that includes the Department of Defense, which I surely would not want us to do. But even if you, would, if you just went and whacked everything in discretionary, you still would never balance your federal budget because of the mandatory spending. And mandatory spending hasn't been touched. Medicare goes bust if we do nothing. In less than 10 years, by the way. Now, when you talk to seniors, and I, I do this all the time, we've got to educate as conservatives, we've got to educate the American people about just what the problems are, but more importantly, what are the solutions to those problems? They know Obamacare's bad now. You know, and there are a lot of conservatives who are going to show up at the polls and they're going to vote against anybody who's for Obamacare, and there's a lot of them still. There'll be a lot fewer, fewer of them after this November, but they're still out there. But there's a whole lot of other people that say that's not enough. I don't like Obamacare, but I don't know what you stand for. They don't trust Republicans on some of these issues because they've never seen Republicans lay out a conservative agenda of how to solve problems. Again, show me the last time we've lost a presidential election running on conservative values. You just can't do it. You'd have to go back before the 1970s. And yet, there's still people in this town that are afraid to put our ideas on paper. They're afraid to go out and debate our ideas against liberals. We ought to want to do that every single day. Just look at the economy. You know, we're working on a jobs bill within the Republican Study Committee. The economy is still the biggest problem people are facing because Americans, whether you're unemployed or underemployed or have a job and you're watching uh, as your paycheck's getting smaller, uh, people want to see Washington focus on the economy. But what they're really seeing is Washington attacking the economy. Uh, this president has done more to destroy the job market uh, than any other president we've seen. You look at his policies uh, from every federal agency. The IRS, uh, as Jessica talked about, going after 501c4 organizations. Uh, anybody who wants to express political views, especially that they disagree with, 
they're going after them. You look at what the National Labor Relations Board's doing. You look at what the EPA's doing. There's probably no federal agency who's destroyed more American jobs than the EPA. And yet they continue to go after every industry that's doing well. If you're doing bad, they'll, they'll bail you out any day. Uh, but if you're successful, they're going to come after you from every angle. And that's the biggest threat Amer American businesses are facing. And families see this. You know, people that are concerned about the economy see this. But what's the Republican answer? I mean, frankly, we ought to have a jobs bill that shows how you can actually have an all-of-the-above American energy strategy, how we can become completely independent of Middle Eastern oil. We can do it today. The president loves to say, I've got a pen and I've got a telephone. Well, the president can't write laws, even though he thinks he can. One thing the president can do with a pen is sign the Keystone Pipeline. He can actually, today, this morning, pick up his pen, and we'll offer him one. I have a pen that says Keystone on. I'll give him the pen. And literally, but with a signature, he can legally approve the Keystone Pipeline and over 20,000 American jobs, over $5 billion of private investment into this country in trading 700,000 barrels a day at least of oil with our friend Canada. Canada's a good friend. Now, this president doesn't understand how to, how to build relationships abroad. He seems to be appeasing our enemies and insulting our friends. But Canada's a real good friend, and every barrel of oil we get from Canada is one barrel of oil less we have to get from Middle Eastern countries who don't like us. And yet he still won't sign that today because of radical environmentalists that are controlling his decision-making. So immediately 20,000 jobs uh, that are going to go somewhere else. China wants, by the way, uh, the oil from that pipeline. And if we don't, if we don't go out and get it, China will get it because Keystone's going to be developed. It's just where is it going to go? So that's one area. You look in the Gulf of Mexico. There are so many thousands of jobs that could be created tomorrow by opening up more of the Outer Continental Shelf, not just in Louisiana and Texas and other states. Look at Virginia right here. Virginia actually wants to look at exploring off of their coast. And right now, under federal policy, you can't do it. The reserves are out there. There are private companies, not federal government money, private companies that will invest billions of dollars exploring for energy, American energy, right here in Virginia, if the federal government just gets out the way. And it can be done safely. It can be done in a way that creates thousands of American jobs. This president won't do it. We ought to be having that debate. We ought to put those bills out on the floor and debate that policy and say, Mr. President, why do you want to continue to hold back the American economy with all of the things you're doing. I mean, look at the revolution we've got in natural gas. America can be an exporter of energy if we just get out the way. And yet the president, he brags. He gave in a State of the Union speech just a few weeks ago, literally stood on the House floor and said, production of energy has never been higher since I've been president. Of course, he fails to mention the production that's higher is on private lands, and he's got his EPA trying to go shut it down. You talk about hypocrisy, a man who literally wants to take credit for things that he's trying to stop right now. And we've called him out on that. We've got to keep calling him out on that, but we've got to continue to go after the policies. We've got to continue to show the American people the difference in what we believe in. They don't like what this guy's doing to this country. And then now they don't trust him because of the broken promise on Obamacare. But they also don't know what we stand for, and they don't trust that Republicans are willing to put those ideas out there. And that's why this year ought to be the year of big ideas. This year ought to be the time where we go and show that contrast. And if we get the Senate, then you go and you send those bills to the president's desk. And then you have another two years 
of having that real big contrast leading up to 2016 uh, when, you know, whether it's Hillary or whoever else they're going to put up there to go and defend this liberal big government failed approach, uh, we finally have the opportunity to turn it around. But we've got to start that process now. You know, we're not going to get help from the media to do it, uh, but the American people are watching. They're watching through social media. Uh, they're watching through a number of other means, uh, but they're also waiting to see, and they're hungry for those big ideas. You know, a few weeks ago was Ronald Reagan's 103rd birthday, and I had the great opportunity. Uh, we had a Republican Study Committee luncheon uh, with Michael Reagan, his son, and and I got to sit next to him. We talked, and, and you know, Ronald Reagan is still, I was in, in college at LSU when Ronald Reagan was president, so I was, I was blessed to to come up in life and, you know, register to vote at a time when we had a president that you could look at and be inspired by, not just be proud of, but someone who could actually inspire you, excite you about the greatness of America. And that's what Ronald Reagan talked about. He's a great communicator because he talked about, but he also believed in the greatness of America. And he wasn't afraid to talk about it. In fact, he was proud to talk about it, but he was even more proud of America's exceptionalism. And if you look right now in the world, there's never been a time where our role in the world has been more necessary going back to World War II because there are countries that look to America today. They don't want America to be an equal country to everybody else. Our allies, forget about what our enemies think about us, our allies want us to be a strong nation. They want us not to be an equal nation to Russia, not to be an equal nation to Iran. They want us to be stronger than Iran. If there's a fight, they don't want it to be a fair fight because they know America's the only beacon in the world against people that are evil. And this president literally thinks that if you just sit in a room and, you know, John Kerry goes and drinks a glass of Merlot with somebody in Geneva, that they're all going to like us. It's not how the world works. Go look at how it's working in Iran. Go look at what's happening in the Ukraine right now. Our enemies are laughing at this administration's foreign policy. But this, this is by design. This is a president who literally went around the world apologizing for American exceptionalism. He apologized for it because he really thinks that we should be an equal nation to everybody else. But again, our friends, our allies in the world don't want that. They want us to be strong because they know there's evil out there in the world. And Ronald Reagan never had to fire a missile at Russia, but he won the Cold War. It was called peace through strength. It actually worked. And then you contrast that with this president's doing in foreign policy. And so we're at a time where uh, we've got a lot of opportunities to show that contrast, uh, but we've got to be bold if we're going to do it because people don't want the milk toast ideas. They don't want Democrat light. They, they, they've got what the real thing over there. You can see it, and you can see the impacts of it. But this is an opportunity for us. And hopefully that's what this next year is going to be about. I know within the Republican Study Committee we're going to be pushing for that. Uh, but we've got to get to a point where people are excited and passionate about what America stands for. Not pitting one person against another. And if you happen to make a profit and you did bad, uh, then it's the guy who made a profit's fault that you did bad. We've got to want everybody to be excited about what the American dream is all about. Because you can go to Moscow today, but nobody leaves and go to Moscow to seek out the Russian dream. Nobody goes to Paris to seek out the French dream. There's only one dream. It's the American dream. And it's still something that's revered all around the world. We've just got to restore that American greatness and that passion in our country here at home. And it's going to start with the great conservative principles uh, that Morton and the Leadership Institute purport. So uh, I'm excited about our opportunities, uh, but I know this is not an easy battle. This is a battle that you've know, you got to suit up every day. 
and you got to come uh, ready to fight against people who really don't believe in the same uh, American greatness uh, that we grew up knowing about and frankly that that people all around still dream about and still look to us to provide that leadership so I, I thank y'all for what y'all are doing uh, it's not an easy fight but it's an important fight uh, not just for today but for my six and four year old and for the future of this country that we, we engage in this battle and that we win this battle uh, so I, uh, I'm honored to be with you I think we're going to take some questions Morton if uh, you wish so uh Thanks for listening to the Wednesday Wake Up Club Breakfast Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to share and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast. To listen to more breakfast, head over to the Leadership Institute YouTube channel. And to see who our next WWCB speaker is, visit our website at leadershipinstitute.org. The Wednesday Wake Up Club Breakfast Podcast is produced and edited by Alexander Chang with support from Tiffany Roberts and Jared Cummings. Advertisements by Alexander Chang and Christopher Olson. Executive produced by David Fenner and Morton Blackwell.